ônibus. How are you feeling? Your latest workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a matter of royal to help and heal human beings. I'm a Jedi, like my father before me. All right, hello, welcome. Here we are again for another episode of From the Back to Tank. I am Michael Flores, the host and captain of the X-Wing that we are flying in currently. And I'm in the studio with my astromech. <laughs> it's very tight in here. Yeah. Very, very tight. You're kind of round like an astromech. <laughs> Is that offensive, David? <laughs> Not really. I'm yeah. honest with myself. I yeah. fit. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to lift you up with that little suction cup. As long as you don't jettison me out into space. No, as long <laughs> as you do your job back there and you keep my blasters working. <laughs> you know, and, the thing is, and I how only have one probe to actually stick in somewhere. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> don't stick your, uh, your thing into strange inputs. <laughs> strange inputs. Listen, Dave, as long as you can fight buzz droids off the wings, <laughs> you're good to go. All right. So you and I are going to be discussing one of our, our favorites today, and that is Dr. Afra. We're going to be jumping right back into that topic. Dr. Afra volume two written by Kieran Gillen and, Artwork by Kev Walker. Star Wars Dr. Aphra Book 3, The Enormous Prophet. That's the story arc, the third story arc of the Marvel Comics series, Dr. Aphra. The arc comprises issues 9 of issues 9 through 13 and Dr. Aphra Annual Number 1, which serves as a bit of a backstory for Black Chris Santon. And sets up a subplot that runs parallel to Afra's main story. And we'll get into that towards the end of our discussion. I'll have to say it was a big poop plop for me. Really? I didn't like the annual. I liked everything else. But the annual just felt a little overly complicated. Well, see, for me, I actually enjoyed the annual because one of the biggest things that I, f I always felt that Dr. Afra, the series had to do, especially with Black Chrysanthemum, mm -hmm. they had to separate him from other Wookiees because the the biggest problem when they first introduced this character was like he was constantly being compared to Chewbacca. You he mean the fandom? The yeah, the fandom yeah, ones. Yeah. And this annual, I I felt kind of answered and showed the difference between the two. Okay, I mean they kind of delved into it briefly. Um. I want to say in the first, within the first 10 issues of the regular Star Wars title. Yeah. And when he was first introduced, they had explained that he was a dishonorable Wookiee. And I believe he was exiled. Yes, he was exiled. And yeah. then he was also a, a, a renowned pit fighter. Right. Which was something that Chewbacca was totally against. Yeah. Now... Black Chris Santon is an amazing character. He's oh, one of yes. my favorite. That's the thing about Dr. Affer's comic is that every character is appealing. Whereas that's not always the case with a certain, with the, with select titles. Sometimes you're into the co-star, hopefully the lead, but it's not always everyone. And with the Affer series, I'm, I'm interested in all the characters. The all of them crew. are interesting. All the whole crew behind Afra is actually really cool. I mean, down to, I mean, the last episode we covered with Doctor Afra, me and you gushed over the the droids. Oh yeah, the droids were, and and they they're still to this day even like a fan favorite among the among, among Star Wars comic fans. Yeah, well, it's because they're unique. Well, look what happens, Dave, when um, Disney tries to do something unique and different. It's a success. It's it's a win. It's a win. If you try to regurgitate and redo, you're going to fail. So, all right. So now book three, let's get into this. Book three, The Enormous Prophet continues uh, the previous arc by including the Eternal Aurora. 
It also takes elements seen within the Screaming Citadel crossover and brings them into play. And this is something you and I both liked quite a bit. It's the aspect of Star Wars that we've always loved. The mystic side of Star Wars. And to see it play out within the very pages of Afra is just simply icing on the cake. Oh, it is. We're already dealing with interesting, very complicated characters. And then you're throwing the mystic side of Star Wars into the mix. You're, you're throwing in one of the one of the first in the in this new era of Star Wars comics. One of the the first concepts of an evil ghost. Yeah, uh, what is it? The Ordu Espectu. Ordu Espectu. Yeah. yeah. The or the Eternal Rur. <laughs> yeah. So, Dave, briefly before we get into this too much, give me your initial thoughts on Volume Two overall. Volume Two was a continuation of where Volume like. The, the the great ride we've been having with Dr. Afra. We right. had a great introduction to that character in volume one. Yeah. In volume two, we get to see kind of like what makes wait what truly makes Afra. You know, what is her motivations? What is she willing to do? Yeah, exactly. And what is she willing to do? What what is like what's her limit? Yeah. You know, like is there a limit? Well, to Afro, apparently not. At this point, there's not. Right. And that's what me, I think in this volume, it's what separates her from the other heroes of Star Wars. Absolutely. And that was the important part. I yeah. mean, we got introduced to Afro in volume one, and she's connected to Darth Vader. Well, and, even more so in the Vader series. Oh, and even That's where then, we first yeah. saw her, yeah. That's when we first saw her. And then, like, you have uh, her literally connected constantly with the heroes of Star Wars up to this point, she's ran into Luke. She's dealt with Han. She, uh, Han and Leia. She uh, she has very personal dealings with Darth Vader. In volume two, I felt it was a great thing to do where they kind of took it. They took her. They let her take a step back away from that mm-hmm. and just focus on telling a story to show what type of character Afra is. So basically, a bad person. But that's yeah. why she's interesting. David, yeah, that's what makes her interesting. That's exactly what makes her interesting. Yeah. So and I love this story arc. Like truly it. Dr. Afra is already a unique character along with her co-stars BD1, Triple Zero and Black Chrysanthemum. But then you introduce the Ordu Aspectu and the internal Rur. And you have an instant winner. Yeah. At least for me. And as a reminder, because it's been quite some time since we covered Dr. Afra, and especially the Screaming Citadel, uh, the Eternal Rur was the name held by the disembodied consciousness, artificial intelligence of the deceased male human Rur that was stored in the Rural Crystal from the former computer core of the Ordu Aspectu Citadel of Rur. The eternal Rur, is that hard for anyone else to say Rur? Rur. <laughs> it, it's just awkward, right? It, it, it is. Rur. Uh, the eternal Rur was discovered by the archaeologist Dr. Shelley Afra and her father during the twilight of the Ordu Aspectu in zero uh, ABY, basically after the Battle of Yavin. Now, within that story, Afra had doubted the sincerity of the eternal Rur's claims regarding their identity. The intelligence claimed that they were the true Rur and that their body was inhabited by an evil ghost implies that Rur's experiments to copy his memories were successful, but resulted in an intelligence that believed it was the original Rur. And we actually get this confirmation that he is not the actual eternal Rur, that at some point when he tried to transfer his living body his consciousness, he actually killed himself, and all he did was copy his his thoughts. His thoughts. It wasn't an actual consciousness transfer. And we get that confirmation in the best way possible, because they could have just spelled it out. But no, we actually get Vader. He's <laughs> the one that gives us that confirmation. When Vader and Rur have their showdown, and Rur claims to be an ancient Jedi. And Vader introduces himself as I am the one and only Sith Lord. I sense nothing of you. That's our confirmation. He doesn't sense anything. He's yeah. an abomination. That's He's what abomination. Vader calls him. 
So that's our confirmation that this isn't any living force spirit. This is simply an AI intelligence. And and when when we get to that, it dude, I love that moment. It, it was, was such so a good. cool twist because up to this point, we all had to we ex- had to suspect that it was a ghost. It's a spirit. It's the essence of a Jedi, right? Which is what I wanted it to be. And I was a little let down, but at the same time, the fact that Vader's the one who clarified that made it better. Yes. It made that let down. Not so much of a let down because uh, Vader to Vader, this was nothing. And it was something that basically he would automatically sense if it was truly a Jedi master. Absolutely. He would know. He would know. He would sense the power and he sensed nothing. nothing. And then all of a sudden it just took all that threat of Rur away because at that point he's nothing but a computer he's simply a droid essentially i'm like going that was a awesome twist because you just made this character who up to this point we had this mystic element to him and all of a sudden you just fused him into just like what you said he's a droid that thinks Mm -hmm. he's a jedi yeah and all of this the again we have to remember that all of this is about dr afra and the, the whole concept behind not knowing what this AI, let's just call him, let's call him Rur. The fact that we don't know what Rur is. And yet Dr. Afra is willingly just playing it, the entire thing fast and loose. She has no concept of what this thing could be. That is such a great way to highlight her lack of responsibility. Her, yes. Just how she's void of any real thought of consequence. Because all that matters is the payoff. Right. That's that to her, that's what matters the most. And it it adds to basically her her layers as a her character. Layers as a character. And it, it sounds like, oh, that would be a simple way of doing it, but it's so it's such a delicate thing to do as a writer because you could easily, easily ruin a character by doing this because yep. then the character would become one dimensional. Right. But by the end of this, you're looking at Afrin, you go, okay, I understand she's a bad person, mm-hmm. but there's so many other layers now to her because she's like, yeah, I have my own moral compass. It's my own. Yeah. I may be bad, <laughs> but there's worse people out there. <laughs> yeah. She, she's so good. Yeah. She's so good. And that's something that this volume really does. Well, it just takes the, the bit that we got from Vader and then of course from volume one and they continue the contextualization of Afra's psyche. What makes her tick? She is truly different as you had alluded to at the top of the show, Dave, she's truly different from many of the heroes we we have followed over the years in star Wars. Oh yeah. In fact, I wouldn't even say many. I might even say all of them. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen a character like this. And some people may say, well, Han Solo had made morally, you know, compromised decisions. But Han was still a good person down, down when, and out. Right. When it came down to it, Han Solo w- was not a bad person. Yeah. He was I mean, a good person. Doctor, you, you can make the argument that maybe Lando. No, he's Lando. a good person, too. Yeah, I would I would say he definitely veers into the gray he is part of that criminal element but there's a such thing as good criminals like honor amongst thieves there to land exactly that's a great way of saying it exactly in fact you know we say she's not like many afro it's not like many or any of our star wars heroes i don't even want to call her a hero i wouldn't even use that word and I wouldn't even use the term anti-hero. She's not a good guy. She's a villain. Not evil. I think a lot of people think when you hear villain, you think evil. She's not evil like our classic go-to baddies in Star Wars. She doesn't want to destroy the world. She's not, Yes. <laughs> she does. Yeah, she's not evil. She's not bloodthirsty. She isn't General Grievous. She isn't Count Dooku. She's not even Ventress. Yeah. She's not these characters. She's not struggling with evilness. She's just not good. The problem with characters like this, though, because this is a great setup, but how long can you keep this going? Because the problem with characters like this, typically writers 
begin to flesh them out in a way that justifies their actions. That's typically what happens. And that's what I mean is like a writer can easily destroy a character because you're then you destroy you. They lose their teeth. Right. And that's something that if that were to happen to Afra, everything that is interesting about this comic book, it wouldn't be there. And with Afra, I don't feel like they are attempting to do that. No. She is who she is because she's a bit fucked in the head. And there's a beauty to her simplicity. She's selfish. In fact, yeah. I, I believe it was either Kieran Gillen or Cy Spurrier. Um, I can't remember which one. They said that Afra is bad. That's their words. She, The cold, hard truth. Here's the quote. And it was Spurrier. The cold, hard truth. She's bad. She's bad, but what makes her a character we can root for, because that's the key when you're writing a story. You have to give people a reason why you're rooting for this baddie. He's all, she's a bad, but what makes her a character we can root for is that she's not the baddest person in the room. Exactly. She's not the most villainous person. Her storylines always include people that are worse than her. And David, that is a genius and I'm not playing fast and loose with the word genius. That's a genius way to keep your character bad. You just make them not as bad as the next guy. Exactly. Because the, uh, it's, it's the one thing that they've been able to do with Afra, even, even from up until now. And we're talking, you know, like we probably are in volume. How many volumes are we are? Oh, dude, in? I don't know. I thought my head. I think 10. I think I we're think. up to, I think they ended uh, around issue 40, I want to say. Yeah, I believe so. And then, so like even up to issue, like f around the 40s and 50s, mm. they have still been able to make Afra compelling and still someone that we can root for. Why? Because they introduce characters that we all agree are worse than her. Yeah. You know, and like the one comparison I think. I found someone, uh, unfortunately, I forgot to put who wrote, uh, who said this in a quote. Afra is uh, a great example of another character like Afra is Gordon Gecko. Who's that? I don't remember. That's the greed is good. Um. Oh, my God. I forgot the name of the movie. I had it right. Uh, oh, 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 yes. With Charlie Sheen and Michael Douglas. Yes. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And from Wall Street. Wall Street. There yeah. it is. And like uh, the character from Wall Street, Gordon Gecko, is like a perfect example of who Afra is. Greed is good. She's a very greedy person. She's very selfish. She only serves herself. Down to the point that basically even her even her crew understands that if there came an opportunity where Afra were to actually make money. And it would cost to betray her crew. Yeah. They all know that she would. And that's the interesting part about those characters is that they're always taking precautions to prevent that from happening. Especially the droids. Dude. I mean, this in this one. We'll get into that. Hold on. Holy off. crap. It was amazing. Dude. That was amazing. Yeah. But everything you're getting into, Dave, I I like that gimmick. It works to keep a character consistent. We don't want our characters to change. We want them. We don't want, okay, I take that back. We want our characters to change. We want story arcs. We want character arcs, I should say. But what we don't want is what makes the character so great. We don't want that thing that drew us in to the storylines. We don't want that to be taken away. As you had said, we don't want the, the fangs The fangs removed. to be taken out. Right. And she's also someone that, you know, I think is such an interesting part. She's also someone that tries to convince herself she's not bad. When it's obvious, she's completely greedy and selfish because there are moments, I believe, in these issues where she's trying to convince herself that uh, the decision she just made <laughs> wasn't bad. Yeah, especially towards the end. A lot of times I notice in a lot of issues of Dr. Afra, there's going to be that moment when Afra says, am I doing the right thing? Yeah, and sure it's, I am. And it's not because <laughs> she is struggling with it for real. It's almost like she is a sociopath. And she knows what society thinks of her. Yes. 
So because she understands human nature, she understands people, her, she finds herself finding ways to explain why she's normal. I don't think she's actually struggling with any of the decisions she's making. She just knows what society expects out of people. Yes. And that's why she is completely and utterly an interesting and complicated character and why I will continue as long as they don't change who she is. And I'm a little nervous with this new era of, of uh, Afra being a, getting ready to kick off here once the coronavirus is handled. I'm nervous because she's been so consistent for the last couple of years. And I'm hoping these, this new direction is not going to be a new direction in terms of character, but just in story. So we'll see getting off subject just a bit there. And now that's exactly getting back to what we were saying. That's exactly how volume two kicks off with the whole idea of being greedy and selfish. She creates this elaborate plan to get rich by selling this ancient Jedi artifact, the Rur crystal to criminals, archaeologists, scholars, assassins. She's, she's not partial. Yeah. She creates an auction plans and she plans to sell the, to the highest bidder. And in the end, she literally gets everyone killed and she <laughs> escapes unscathed. And, and that's what the plan was at the end is like, she used everybody she as collateral damage. Everyone is collateral damage. She did not care because up to this point, she had the ultimate weapon at her disposal, even though, even though it's a very dangerous weapon, because let's face it. If she, if Darth Vader is to catch her up to this point, she's going to die. <laughs> she just doesn't think of the consequences and she leaves a, a bloody massacre in her wake. That's why I say she's a sociopath. Most people might think, well, why do I want to read anything about a person with no real redeeming qualities? For example, with Vader, we follow his story, but his story is, is a tragic story. It's a so, tragic story. So we can find the sympathy or even the empathy. His downfall is very Shakespearean. But we keep reading Afra because it's at times a bit tongue in cheek. Yes, there's those comedic moments that I think is crucial when you're dealing with a character that just got an entire room of people murdered. That you got to kind of handle it with with a bit of satire. Yes, but we also just watch because we all want to see this massive train wreck called Doctor Afra. It's fascinating, isn't it? Oh, pretty much because, like, especially with I think at this point in Volume Two. Uh, Gillen was able to actually sh show that one of the strengths as a writer that they have is introducing really diverse, unique characters. Mm -hmm. Volume two is a big time example of that, especially when you see the characters that get introduced to this party that Afra invites to. All of them are very different. All of them are very unique, but there's one thing that's all ties them all together they're all more dangerous than afra mm -hmm. so in a way that's what compel compels us as the readers to continue on the story because we're like okay we know afra is a bad person but how is she gonna get away from these guys because these guys are even more slimy and conniving and basically eve more evil than she is the scenarios that the writers create is the reason why we watch or li or read. Yes. We're like, Jesus, how is she going to get out of this one? What is she doing now? Holy shit. I cannot believe that just happened because at the end of this volume, I was like, holy shit. Like yeah. everyone's dead. Everyone's wow. dead. And we know there's going to be a comeuppance for Afra because I'm sorry, you just killed one of the huts. We all know as Star Wars fans, you don't do that. Well, also, you know, I, dude, the part that I just die, I, I haven't laughed reading a comic book, a Star Wars comic book in a good way in a very long time. When Vader, okay, she's an annoying character at times, but in a good way, right? She's like that, a roach that won't die. Yes. Okay. And even Vader, who never, Dave, and correct me if I'm wrong, Vader has never shown annoyance before. He has shown anger and he murders people, but true, like 
under your skin. That's just that seems beneath Vader, right? To get oh, yeah. annoyed, like, to get annoyed. And yet we saw Vader actually get annoyed. In this volume here, because she's alive and just to fill people in. She, he had thought that. Afra was dead. Now, for those people that may not know, Afra's introduction is deeply connected to Vader. Yes. They were partners at some point, but the last time they were together, Vader had thought he killed her because Afra created this elaborate Afra-type deception that was completely plausible. Like, it didn't take the fangs out of Vader. It didn't ruin his ability to murder people. It was plausible. And it that's why the writing when it comes to Afra has been so top notch. Well, in this issue, when Vader realizes or in these issues, when Vader realizes she's alive, I mean, it's fucking priceless. It is. He says, I feel a presence I have not felt for some time. Number one, playing on the, you know, new hope. Yes. Okay. Dealing with Obi-Wan. He says, I feel in infuriating presence. Infuriating presence. (laughs) And that's how it ends. It's amazing because like they took a they took a a a moment in a character that we all feel is stoic classic. I feel presence a presence I haven't felt since and then he walks away. Right. But instead they flip it and they basically go, <laughs> it, it just fits that Afro vibe that yes. basically like even up to this point, Vader's like going, Oh, I want her dead. Yeah, like what the hell? <laughs> The subtext is literally Vader saying, what the hell? Yeah. What do I got to do to get rid of her? And it it wasn't the classic Vader anger. It was something we've never seen Vader ever show. Well, especially since the last time they, they met, both of them were under the understanding Vader was going to kill her. Because he wanted to keep his secrets. Right. Because she was the one in his story. Uh, with the one responsible, she was the one that brought him the the knowledge that Luke Skywalker is Luke Skywalker. Yeah, and then both of them all realized in different uh, at different points after realized Vader's going to kill her with with this information because he's not going to want this out. Yeah, and then Vader's like going, "Oh, she has to die now." I wonder if she knows this, <laughs> and that was the game. Because, like, that's what made that relationship really intriguing in Vader because you're, like, going, well, they both know that they're going to have to kill each They're going to have to kill each other. Afro basically makes no, <laughs> basically makes no excuses and says, I can't kill Darth Vader. There's no way. Yeah. It's the impossible. It's the impossible hit. And it, she knows that if he were to catch her. She's going to die. <laughs> and then when you get to that point where you think, oh, my God, they killed Dr. Afra," And then you realize, nope, she got away scot-free. Why? Because she, uh, they decided to show the one strength that Dr. Afra has, which is she may not be a Jedi user. She may not have the powers of the Force like Darth Vader, but she's still cunning and she's still smart. And... That is what her main weapon is. Yeah. She can outthink people. That's what got, that's what got Vader's interest in her. She was a brilliant archaeologist. And uh, yes. And and that's what keeps her. So it's one of the many reasons why she's an interesting character. Keeping Vader closely connected to her story is very smart. Having an unally essentially like Vader and vice versa is something we've never seen before. We haven't seen this dynamic before in star wars we've seen characters that work together because they know that it's a means to an end and they're all gunning for each other we've seen various underworld type stories during the dark horse comic days the 90s the original you know expanded universe that's nothing new but there's a dynamic between vader and afra and they're allies even if they don't know it yeah because afra because especially in this volume at the end even though Afra panicked when she realized, "Holy shit, Darth Vader's here! I'm gonna go. I, I, I'm in deep trouble." She still had. She still was calm enough to look at the situation, and say, "I could use this as my advantage." Oh, yeah. yeah, it's brilliant, dude. It's it's brilliant. 
Another unique element is Afra's relationship with her droids. And this is something we went on about (laughs) during our previous discussion. Oh, it got it got real in volume two. (laughs) Yes. The element just gets that much better. Uh, Her droids, BD one and triple zero. They are without a doubt psychopaths that much. There's no even there's no reason to even try to overcomplicate it. They enjoy murdering. And keeping consistent with that very simple aspect to their character development so so far to date, we get these issues fleshed out a bit, or I should say the the psychopathic nature. We flesh it out a little further in a very unexpected way. We explore their journey to gain their own salvation and freedom. And this is probably what story C, because Afra's story is A within yes. these issues for sure. Black Chrysanthemum is probably story B. But this is how good Kieran Gillen is. Story C, okay, the third story arc of these issues is so elaborate and it breaks your expectations by doing something completely unseen before. You have a story that is about two droids colluding to earn their freedom by blackmailing their master. Yep. And it's the very reason why Vader learns that Afra is alive. They blackmail their master with essentially her death. Yes. Because if they, they don't, if she doesn't release them. And now we have two psychopathic droids out in the universe and the with no master. And no, and the beautiful thing is they understand that they need a quote unquote flesh bag or they need a master. <laughs> I in love front that. Of them. Yeah. So what do they do? They'd take the one guy that they can manipulate. That's so dark, dude. It's dark. It's very dark. It's like, you know, uh, everyone thinks that, Oh, that guy, that I forgot the the character's name, but that one criminal, oh, he's the mastermind. Mm-hmm. No, it's the two droids behind him. Yeah. And I'm like, going, this is how they get their freedom. They understand that in the universe, droids are not looked at very highly. Mm-hmm. They're looked at as slaves. I mean, they, they're, they're not allowed to actually have freedom. And that's basically the whole point of their story. It's so that we have... They're changing the dynamic again, because as of right now, we have, even though these two droids are very different from droids we've seen in the past, the dynamic between the two of them, or I should say between the two droids and Dr. Afra is something similar that we've seen, very similar to what we've seen throughout the last 50 years of Star Wars, however many years it's been around. How many years? 40 years, 40 plus years. There we go. 40 plus years it's been around. You know, you had Luke Skywalker with his droids. There's a master and servant type thing going on right there. Yes. Well, these droids don't want to be, be held to anyone. They want to be their own people. So now we have characters that still respect Dr. Africa. They do. They even said it. We won't murder her yet. We like her. <laughs> I know that was my, one of my favorite parts yeah. for, of, of this volume was actually the dialogue between B B T and triple zero. Well, there's logic. There's logic to their. There's actual. That's the scary thing about it. It's two murderers who are very logical. Yes. In the people that choose to murder, and they don't find it logical right now to murder Doctor Afra. Like we like her. She may be of use for us. And now that we're free of her control, we we will find her again when we need her. When we need her. And I'm like going. It's like that moment really makes me wish especially uh, after rereading this volume, we got these two characters, specifically these two BT and triple zero. I would love to see them in live action because the dialogue between them, it's clever as hell. dude. It's clever as hell. Yeah. I've said on, I I believe I said in one of our previous shows that I would kill for like, for even a comic strip. I, because I, I want to say about seven, eight months ago, I started taking snapshots of certain portions of the Dr. Afra comic and, or I should say panels and the panels that I screen grabbed were isolating triple zero and BD one, their conversations. And as I started posting them on Twitter and on our Facebook page, 
I realize they tell their own story. It's a story of two droids looking for people to murder and their own salvation. <laughs> and and they, salvation. they have a very clever discourse as well. Very smart. And I'm like, I could see this as like a weekly comic strip. You drop three or four panels of a unique journey with these two characters. I don't think there would be a Star Wars fan out there that wouldn't be interested in reading that. Because essentially you're seeing the polar opposite of a duo that we all have grown up on in R2-D2 and C-3PO. Both are, are the heroic, they're kind, they're caring. Flip it on the other side, you can easily have Triple Zero and BT just do their own thing. And we as Star Wars fans would eat it up. It's weird because, like, to me, reading the whole Afro series up to up to even today, BT and Triple Zero, arguably, arguably, are just as compelling and interesting as characters as R two D two and C three PO. Dave, I think these characters are more compelling. And maybe it's because C-3PO and R2 have been squandered a bit over the last 40 years. They've never really been given their due. They really haven't. In the original series, of course, in the the prequels, eh, somewhat. They were squandered a little bit. Yeah, they've never been given their, their own story. Like... Yes, until the new sequels, which ruin that entire thing, you could say that a lot of this is from the perspective of our our two droids. Yes. That much of the story is from the perspective of def- definitely R2 and possibly C-3PO. That was the genius thing about those characters. And now that whole thing was thrown out the window with the sequel trilogies that didn't even use them at all, at all. really. Not, not even. So that's why I say these characters... And how they were introduced and what they're being used for, I think, are are even better, Dave. Like, listen, C-3PO and R2 will always have a place in my heart. They're amazing characters, but so I'm not going to take that away. But these characters, I wouldn't even compare them. I think they're vastly different. Just one, the only thing that's similar, it's, you know, is one's an, an astromech and one's a protocol droid. A protocol droid. But Dave, this is why overall this series works so well. It's truly unique. You're dealing with elements of the force. We're learning about the dredges of the universe and also the academic side, which we've never seen before until now. Dredges of the universe. Yes, we've seen bounty hunters, smugglers. But what about the academic side of the universe? I love that they're including professors, teachers, archaeologists, and you know the fact that they're showing us how this adds up into the mythos of Star Wars and and where it factors in when it comes to the bigger universe of Star Wars. These are things that we just never really got into. Yeah. We always focus on the bounty hunters and the smugglers and we like archaeologists, teachers, professors, that's boring stuff. No way. Oh yeah. And yet these issues introduce, of course, the the elements of the academics. Well, and the- it just opens up that door that much Further, that much more in the Star Wars universe. One of the things that I really like as a theme that Dr. Aphra introduced, and it's solely in her comic when you actually see it, the currency of knowledge in in the Star Wars galaxy far exceeds any credit that a bounty hunter can make. Mm -hmm. Like, if you can find some piece of secret or forgotten knowledge... That seems to be like the ultimate currency to everybody right. in the Star uh, Star Wars universe. Well, that's definitely something that was, that idea was definitely factored in, right, in these issues. Look how many people were vying for the knowledge of Rur. <laughs> that right? Was, that was just amazing in itself. Getting down to the even like the, the Hut organization being interested in it. Yeah. And I love that callback because I've always liked the stories, especially from the old EU that dealt with like the underside of the galaxy, especially with the huts. What about Jabba's cousin? I heard that he was your favorite. <laughs> Let's not talk about him. He Jabba. didn't survive long. <laughs> the gay hut. The gay hut. He was awesome, Dave. 
Yeah, just throw you off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just had that suddenly like, oh man, yeah. that just let's, let's, the let's, 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 not even, let's not even talk about. It. I should have brought it up. <laughs> yeah. So but, all of this, Dave, it just takes us into a very unique side of Star Wars, you know, and it's. There's so many stories now that are ripe to be told. They're just there waiting. And within the annual, we had two characters that were fucking journalists that broadcast on the Net. Is this something any of us would have ever expected to get in Star Wars? Nope. No, nope. but it adds to the world in a big way. Oh, look, of course there's journalists. Yeah, of course there are. I mean, that's just so good. And how they used them were uh, in order to explain some of our characters in a backstory was just fantastic. And in these five issues alone, we are introduced just these five issues. We are introduced to a world of endless possibilities. And that's what I think is the strength of the Dr. Aphra series. I mean, if you look at Vader and the main star Wars title during this time, they were really popular, but why were they popular? Because they focused on a narrative that we all knew, the Skywalker storyline. They wanted to add stuff through Darth right. Vader. That was the that was the main crux of the whole connection of, of the Darth Vader series and the Star Wars series was, hey, we're going to continue the Star- Skywalker's the Skywalker saga. Dr. Afro was used to say, hey, we're going to show what's going on around the Skywalker mm-hmm. saga. Yeah, Vader's around, but he doesn't. Vader doesn't care about this unless it's dealing with something of the force. Right. So he's not going to care about like some kind of unknown crystal that basically just as we said in the very beginning, he looked at it and said, I feel nothing. You're an abomination. And it's like, okay, this explains why Vader is not interested in this. (laughs) He was only interested in, in suppressing the knowledge. Yeah. Out of hell. And that was it. And that was it. Yeah. So, Dave, overall, I mean, these issues were truly some of the best Star Wars. Issue 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 of yes. Dr. Aphra, which comprised of the, which comprised the, the enormous profit, book three, and of course, the annual as well, annual number one. And typically annuals, for people out there that might not know, typically annuals are uh, the leftover stories, maybe an idea that the writer had had at one point and couldn't fit it into the regular storyline. Uh, there's other things that yeah. could go into an annual, but typically that's what they are. This one was used as a formal way to flesh out the backstory of Black Chris Anton. Yes. And uh, Black Chris Anton, it, just like Dr. Afra, just like BD1, just like Triple Zero is without a doubt one of my favorite new characters of Star Wars, without a doubt. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if but, you think about it, he's the second, he's only the second major Wookiee that we've been introduced to. Yeah, and he was introduced early on uh, when Disney took over. He was introduced, I want to say like issue three or four of the Star Wars, the main Star Wars title. Yeah, I remember that uh, a long time ago when they released that because it was a big thing because some of the variant covers were just Black Chrysanthemum taking on it's Chewbacca. So good. Yeah, it was good. But when it comes to this annual, as I had hinted or previewed at the top of our show today, for me, it just felt like a really overcomplicated mess. Like, I understand what they were doing, and I find this strange because Kieran Gillen is also the writer of this annual, and it was a bit of a stepping stone to the enormous profit it was i don't feel like you have to read it to fully understand but it just felt very convoluted there was too much going on and i'm not an idiot i know how to read comic books and i had to read it two times to fully understand what they were doing there was a lot of scenes that were just placed with not a lot of explanation. <laughs> and maybe it was the artwork. I, I don't know. Well, especially since this is the one issue that I can recall in in all of Dr. Afro, all of Star Wars, where a dialogue of a Wookiee was supposed to emote some kind of emotion. But because it's a Wookiee talking, 
to us, it's just gibberish. It's just growling. We don't know what he's actually saying, but it's characters reacting to what he's saying. And yeah, it was that's weird. what that's what kind of threw me off. And I do agree with you. It does. There were moments when it seemed too convoluted, and uh, and there's there like, was too much back and forth. Back and forth, right? Yeah. But I still enjoyed this. Uh, I still enjoyed the annual because it further showed the difference between Black Chrysanthemum and Chewbacca. Black Chrysanthemum's his own. They're, they're, uh, I think the whole point for this annual was to show and spotlight that, hey, there's more Wookiees out there than freaking Chewbacca. Black Chrysanthemum has his own story. And while he's a Wookiee, he has different motivations. You know, like the whole connection between him and Afra is because of a quote unquote life debt, which we can all understand the opposite of this one. It's the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like going, I like that. That was cool. Yeah. You have to show those differences because when I remember when it first came out, everyone just threw away black chrysanthemum basically saying, Oh, he's just another Wookiee. He's just another clone of Chewbacca. I'm like, no, you guys don't understand. He's villainous. Yeah. He will rip he, your arms. He's off. a bad guy. He's a bad guy. Yeah, he will yeah. rip your arms off. Chewie just jokes about it. You know, well, we never see it. Well, we did in Solo. Remember Solo, a Star Wars story? He literally well, ripped. He ripped the guy's yeah, arms off. Yeah, that was awesome. That was the best part. <laughs> I love that movie, but when he actually ripped the arms off the dude's sockets, I was like, holy shit, he actually did it. <laughs> and and I, I, I was happy with that scene, too. But I mean, like. Black Chrysanthemum would just do it just on normal basis. Right. Yeah. Chewbacca would do it in, in a fight. It was a self-defense. They self were trying to escape. Thing. Yeah. But like Black Chrysanthemum would look like a normal human being say, oh, you're in my way. I'm going to take your arm off. I might take your head off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So final thoughts for me. Uh, this is why the series works. It's just truly unique. Pretty much everything we've just gone through. It's the only piece of the Disney era Star Wars that I feel is truly exceptional. I'm talking about. Let me let me backtrack. Valance, I don't consider unique to Disney. I don't consider <laughs> no. the Star Wars title unique to Disney. I'm talking about things they completely thought up on their own. New, completely new characters, things we've never seen before. Planets. The whole gamut, right? Yes. For me, Dr. Afra and everything it entails is Disney at its best being in charge of Lucasfilm. It's different and yet at the same time feels authentic to Star Wars. It's the single, in my opinion, it's the single greatest element to come from the Disney era Lucasfilm. It's I mean just it's just fun. I'm going to double down on that and agree with you because like if, if there was a star Wars fan out there, that's was got what that asked me, Hey, if I wanted to get into the new era, where do you want, where do you think I should go? The Vader series first because uh, it introduces would, Afra. Well, okay. The first 10 issues, first 10 issues. Yep. But at that point I'd basically tell Branch them no, over. Yeah. go over to Afra. Yeah, I agree. Cause you'll understand the star Wars universe at that point, because you're going to get a better gauge of like all the unique things that we as fans want to know about. We want to know what this planet is. Afra is going to be the one to go there. You're not going to get that with the, with the Darth Vader series or the star Wars series, because they're they're focused on the Skywalker story. And listen, don't don't get me wrong, people out there, people of Earth, I love the ongoing titles that we're getting. Yeah. I, I think they're fun, but I don't attribute that one hundred percent to the Disney era Lucasfilm. Doctor Afra is one hundred percent theirs, and it's great. So that's why I say this is their single greatest gem since they took over. And book three does wonders to flesh out just how fucked Afra is and push oh, forward yeah. new potential story avenues for Vader, Triple Zero, BD-1, and of course, of course Black Chrysanthemum. So I'm going to give this a 90%. Easily. Yeah. Easily. I, I, what about you, Dave? I'm probably going to go in the same range. I'm I'm at a 90% with this with this particular volume just because it hits every single thing that 
we as Star Wars fans want to know outside of it hits the, all walls, Dave. It's it very girthy and it it's feels girthy. good. Yeah, but it, it, it's one of those pieces of Star Wars that you know you could put in your bookshelf and say, "Hey, I could keep going back and rereading this yeah. time and time again for sure, and not get tired of it." And I'm just gonna say this. Once again, and I'm always going to voice this, her sexuality never factors into story. And God, and God bless Kieran Gillen. They never made it that, that about that. Yeah. And if you want to, because listen, I am 100% for gay rights. You're an asshole if you're not. Or even human if you're not. I mean, come on. My point is, I'm not trying to get on a soapbox here. My point is, is that sexuality should never dictate story yes unless there's a reason for it in a story like this there's no reason for it she is just simply lesbian and that's it there's no reason to use it or to always remind us that she's lesbian he's just a person and her sexuality is just as important as say luke skywalker's it's like eh it's it's not vital to the story. It's another layer to her personality. But this is how you normalize things. People always talk about normalizing, normalizing, why it's so important to put gay characters into stories and movies and books. And I agree with that. But when you put a spotlight on it, you're not normalizing it. You're highlighting it yes. and you're showing everyone, look, he's gay. Look at they're gay. Everyone, they're gay. That's not normalizing. That's singling it out and highlighting it and that creates bad writing how you normalize is exactly what they're doing in this storylines in these storylines so just just all the way around dave this storyline or the dr Afra series is just top notch all the way around and dave you give it a 90 percent, right i gave it a 90 percent. okay so that concludes this does, in fact, conclude our discussion on Dr. Afra, Volume 2, Book 3, The Enormous Prophet. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the Force be with us. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs>